So the, the premise of this entire series, right, has been that a lot of what we deemed uh, to be normal is gone. Normal is, is, has left the building, right? Like normal does not exist. We, there's no longer a normal. We have formed new habits. We have formed new behaviors. We have been deeply impacted and we've been scarred emotionally, spiritually, and on a social level, right? This pandemic has done something to us on a very deep and profound level. And so what we're doing is we're being challenged to learn the new rules, right? What are the new rules? The new rules to spiritual disciplines, right? We spoke about the new rules for mission. What does it look like to engage our neighbors and to share the gospel with our neighbors? What are the new rules for life? That's what we spoke about last week during Mother's Day. Now, one thing that's been greatly impacted, I'm sure all of you would agree, is church life, right? The church does not look the same. In fact, I was scrolling through my, through my Instagram story uh, archive. You know, you can go back years and look. So I have a little, bit of, a little video for you guys to look at. This was not that long ago. This is us worshiping at PS 299. And, and we're shoulder to shoulder. There's not a seat that's available. We're crammed in to the lobby of the school. This was pre-pandemic, right? Back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. You guys remember that, right? And, uh, and yeah, we were meeting at 299 and it was amazing. Shoulder to shoulder, not an empty seat, full house, and no masks, praise God, praise God, right? Like, we were just all together hanging out, you know, and the pandemic has changed so much from where we meet. We no longer are able to meet at the school uh, to, uh, to the people. A lot of the people that are in that video are no longer around. Many people have moved away, have moved on, and decided to, you know, use an opportunity to leave, uh, and leave New York City to, uh, to being physically distanced physically distance worship experiences to following local and CDC guidelines on mask wearing and capacity recommendations on and on and on you go. So, so much has changed. So what do we do? What, what do we do with all the changes? How do we navigate all of these changes? And this has been a pressing issue. Let me just let you guys in on the heart of a pastor, not just your pastor, but pastors all over New York City, as I have conversations with many of them, and many of them are close friends of mine and other church leaders, this has been a pressing issue. I mean, this is what something has been keeping up pastors at night and church leaders at light. How do, at night. How do we deal with this? How do we navigate these changes? Because let's be honest, things like mask wearing and vaccinations have become very polarizing issues, right? They, they've, been caught, they've, been become, they've become very divisive issues. Right. Whether you are for vaccines or for masks or against masks or against vaccines. And this causes all sorts of issues, all sorts of disunity, all sorts of problems. Uh, because, uh, by the way, whatever opinion you have, obviously, is the right one. Right. Whichever one you hold is obviously the correct opinion. And so that causes all this conflict and and difficult, it's very hard to navigate. And so this has been extremely challenging to navigate. So, guys, what are the new rules for church? What are the new rules for church? That's what we're talking about today. Here's number one in your notes. You can write this down. And that is that we will work hard to create safe environments. We will work hard to create safe environments. The, the world has changed dramatically on how we interact with one another. Uh, think about even baseball games, right? I have a picture for you guys. This is a recent picture. You, for those of you that have gone to sports games, right? You've been to Yankee Stadium. You go before you used to sit shoulder to shoulder 
or, or knee to neck, right, to the person in front of you, like you were like crammed in, and right, the guy behind you is drunk and spilling beer all over your back, right, and like you're yelling and spitting all on top of each other at a baseball game. Now, it's just 20% capacity. There's all this space, you know, and by the way, this is Yankee Stadium now, not City Field, because City Field looked like this even before the pandemic, of course, right? <laughs> but this is, you know, Yankee Stadium now, 20% capacity. And the emphasis, of course, is trying to create safe environments for people just to enjoy a night out, right? Of course, eventually it's going to increase. Eventually things are going to change and it's going to look different. But for now, this is what's happening. So as a church, we want to be, we certainly want to be above reproach. And we want to work really hard to try to create safe environments. We want to take the necessary precautions and we want to follow the recommendations, not only of the CDC, but even our local authorities, right? To the best, to the very best of our ability. And we recognize that those recommendations sometimes come at an inconvenience to the individual. It comes at an inconvenience to us, right? But what you need to understand is that the core, the core message of the gospel and as followers of Jesus is that we ought to put others' needs before our own. Look at what Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says. You have it there in your notes and it's on the screen. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. You guys know if you continue to read chapter 2 in the book of Philippians, the author, Paul, goes on to tell us exactly how Jesus would live this out. But how Jesus would not look to his own interests. Jesus cared, about, cared more about the interests of others and others' needs than he did of his own needs. And that ultimately led Jesus to sacrificially and willingly lay down his life for us. This is the gospel. That Jesus didn't look at his own considerations or his own needs. He looked at the needs of others and he willingly laid down his life. This is the message that is core to the gospel. And so what that means that it means that we're temporarily uncomfortable so that we can care and we can serve for one another. Perhaps more importantly, so that we can serve those that aren't here yet. I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard from people. I've had conversation, text, text messages and, and Facebook messages from people that have told me they're just not ready to enter a public uh, gathering just yet. I mean, you know, people are still fearful of what this pandemic had done. Many people are still afraid. And so we want to try to create safe environments, not just for us that are, that are here. We want to do that for one another, but for those who aren't here yet. Here's number two in your notes. We will work hard to create welcoming environments. We will work hard to create welcoming environments. We want to position ourselves in the best place to welcome new folks. You know, by the way, if you're a first-time guest or if you're new to the, to the Swerve fam, I just want to let you know that this is what we're trying our, our best to do for you. Well, Danny, you're not doing a great job. I'm sorry. I'm trying my best here. Okay, this, this is what we want to do. We're trying to create a safe environment and a welcoming environment for you. That's why if you hear back from me during the week, I always say, you know, if you, if you join us, I hope you felt welcome and everyone made you feel right at home. Because this is what I desire for Swerve to contribute. And, and Swerve Church, I need you to understand this, that this is something that I absolutely want instilled and downloaded inside of each and every single one of us. 
that we create a church environment, we create a church home where, where new people can feel welcome. Why? Because this message is also core to the gospel, that Jesus welcomes strangers into the family of God. This is also a message of the Bible that it's from the very beginning, from the Old Testament, and littered all throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. When's the last time you read a verse from the book of Leviticus in church, right? Look at what it says. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, this message from God to the Jewish people was to welcome the newcomer. And it was to love them as they would love their own self. And he went so far as to say, to consider the foreigner, regard them as native born. In other words, consider them your brother. Consider them your sister. And then God reminds them, you were all foreigners when you were slaves in Egypt. In other words, he was like, hey, Israel, do you guys remember when, when, when you were exiled to the land of Egypt and you were strangers there? Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember the sentiment? And so in church, guys, it's so easy to grow comfortable with what we have and never see or put ourselves in the shoes of a visitor to our church. It's so easy for us to grow comfortable and never see the needs. Again, this idea of welcoming others, whether, whether they are Christian or not, is a core message to the gospel. The Bible teaches us that our sin alienated us from God, but that Jesus brought us near through his work on the cross and resurrection and that he made us children of God, and we become brothers and sisters of one another. This is core to the gospel message. How does this impact us on a practical level? Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Why don't we read this verse out loud together? Ready, go. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Be hospitable to one another. And by the way, in that hospitality, do it without complaining, right? Just as each one has received the gift, use it to serve others. So here's a question I want you guys to wrestle with today. What are you doing to help contribute to creating a welcoming environment? Because this will only happen when we don't look to any one particular person to do that. But when as a church, we all take ownership. When we don't just say, oh, well, that's Danny's job to do, or that's so-and-so's job to create a welcoming environment. But when we say, no, we're a part of this church family, we're a part of this church body, and you take ownership over that, you say, well, it's also my job to try to contribute to that. And how can I welcome new people into the family of God? Here's number three. We will work hard to create worshipful experiences. We will work hard to create worshipful experiences. One of the greatest access that we have to the throne of God is through prayer and through worship. The reason, what's the reason? Because intrinsically wired into each and every single one of us here, into our very being is a desire to worship and to surrender to something. This is something that we all have in common. We all have a, an urge or a desire to worship something. And that's why if, if, if it's not God, if we're not giving all our surrender and all our worship to God, we'll find, we'll find our hearts and our affections towards worshiping other things. 
Sometimes they're silly things. But if we're not careful and if we don't surrender all our worship to God, we will find art in everything else. Think about the things that you give your time and your energy and your emotions to. Right? If you don't give it to God, then you're going to give all your time and energy and your emotions to your career. And if it's not God, you're going to find yourself worshiping or putting all your time and energy into the pursuit of wealth or status right? or to a relationship. If it's not God, you're going to find yourself worshiping and find yourself putting all your emotions, all your energy, all your time to a relationship to someone that perhaps you even know that is bad news or, it's, or is abusive or unsupportive. We are all prone to wander and to pursue and worship false idols. You know, I love the conversation that Jesus had with a woman by the well. You guys remember this story? It was a Samaritan woman. And Jesus encounters this woman who had been sleeping around and she had multiple partners. And so when Jesus reveals to her her sin, she changes the topic and she talks about worship. And she tells Jesus, hey, we worship on a mountain. You Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. Jesus, what's the right place to worship? And so, in other words, her question was, hey, what's the best place to worship? Hey, Jesus, what's the best style of worship? Hey, is it, is it Baptist style, you know, or is it Pentecostal, you know, happy clappy? Or, you know, is it organ, Jesus, or is it acoustic guitar? What's the best for, Jesus, is it hands raised, or is it s- sitting silent in reverence? That was her question. What's the best form of worship? And he said this in John chapter 4, verse 23. This is Jesus' response. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. So guys, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? It means that our worship isn't contingent on our emotion. That our worship isn't contingent on liturgy or tradition or a style of music. That's not what it means to worship in spirit and truth. It means that the birthplace of our worship comes from an overflow of love and affection for God. It means that our worship is the result of what God has already done through Jesus. But listen, so often our worship is contingent on our feelings, right? So often our worship is contingent on our circumstances. And we say, well, God, you know, I'm really, I'm really going to worship you in spirit and truth once all my problems are solved. Or you know what? I'm feeling down. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling X, Y, Z. So I can't give you all of my worship because of my feelings. But to worship in spirit and truth means that we worship from an overflow of what's already been done, not what we're currently feeling. You know, I love the story of uh, an outcast and a rejected person in Jesus's day. This person had a contagious and painful disease called leprosy. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. I want you to check this out. Look at what happens here. It says, And behold, a leper came, and what did he do? And he worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want you guys to check this out. The leper worshipfully approached Jesus before the miracle took place. He came to Jesus and worshipped him before there was any sort of healing. What if we took the posture of the leper? What if we came worshipfully before the throne of God, before the breakthrough, before the miracle? What if we laid prostrate before Jesus 
in worshipful humility despite how we're feeling, despite what we're going through. Maybe a worship experience, you know, I, I wonder what God might do with that type of posture, with that type of humility, with that type of environment. I wonder what God might do and what environment of worship could form. Maybe it be a worship experience where healing can take place or where lives could be transformed or where we can bring down a slice of the kingdom of heaven here to earth. We will work hard to create worshipful experiences. Here's number four. We will work hard to create unity. We will work hard to create unity. You know, so much has taken place in the past 14 months to contribute to this unity, right? You know, it's really difficult to remain united when there's been so much scattering due to the pandemic. It's kind of like, have you ever been to the beach and you go out into the ocean and you wade in open water? You know, you have your beach chair, you have your beach towel out, you have your picnic basket, whatever. You go out, you're having fun in the ocean and you, you, you see it from a distance. But then you, you turn around, you play, you swim, you wade in the water a little bit and you look around back to shore and you're like, where's my stuff? Where, where's, my, where's, my, where's my chair? You see, you see the current drifted you without even noticing. If you, when you're out on the beach, when you're out in open water, you just naturally drift. And guys, it's the same way with unity. We will, you know, there will always be a natural bend towards drift when it comes to unity, especially in a socially distanced world. But you know, the biggest problem that we have of this unity, guys, is our spiritual enemy. Our spiritual enemy loves a disunified church. He loves it. The Bible says that the enemy roams around like a lion, seeking whom to devour. And if we kind of track with that example a little bit, you know how a lion hunts, right? A lion likes to look, it likes to target its prey. And it looks at, it, it looks at the prey that's kind of wandered off from the rest of the herd. Why? Because the lion knows that it can attack that, the, the single animal that's kind of strayed away from the rest of the herd. It's the same thing with our spiritual enemy. The more that we isolate, the more that we, that we, that we wander, the more that we kind of space out and, and promote that disunity, the enemy has an entryway into, into, into pouncing and to devouring. And Jesus knew this and he would always speak about unity. It's one of the things he constantly communicated throughout the New Testament. In fact, a chapter, an entire chapter in the book of John is dedicated to Jesus' prayer and it was all about unity is what he prayed. An entire chapter in the book of John. I wanted to read this with you guys. In fact, I want you guys to read it with me. John 17, verse 21. It's on the screen and in your notes. Ready, go. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed, man, may there be unity. May they be together. May they be one. So when it comes to this idea, how does it make you feel that Jesus prayed for you? That in this prayer, in John chapter 17, Jesus had you in mind. And he prayed that we would be united, not disunited, disunited. And so when it comes to this idea, how does it make you feel? And here's another question I want you guys to wrestle with. Are you an answer to Jesus' prayer? Are you an answer to Jesus' prayer? Are you an advocate for unity? Are you a unifier? Or are you an isolator? Part of the new rules for church is that we fight for unity. 
Because we're better together, guys. Because we're stronger together. Because you need it. And because I need it. And because also there's people in our community, those that are not here yet, there are those that are not a part of the family of God yet, that need it. And a key element to unity is love. Love will be the ingredient that covers a multitude of sin. Love will be the, the thing that chooses to forgive offenses. Love will be the thing that seeks peace over calamity and that pursues unity. So we have to be part of the new rules for churches that we are pursuing unity. Here's the last thing, number five. The last thing is this. We will not give up. We will not give up. And this is so important, guys. A part of the new rules for church has to include us having thick skin. It has to include us having grit. We need to have a spine. We need to have a, a backbone, right? Because we've gone through a pandemic together, guys. You're here. We, we went through a pandemic together. If you're here, it's because by God's grace, you are tough. You are strong. Maybe you're even stronger than you think. Because we're in New York City, guys. We faced the brunt force of the pandemic together. At one point, the entire world had all their eyeballs at what was happening in New York City. We were the front page of every paper all over the world. People looking at what was going on in New York City. The amount of sicknesses, the amount of deaths. In fact, most of us here in this room know someone who personally passed away due to COVID. And so the temptation is for us when we face all this opposition is to throw in the gloves, right? To, to hang up the gloves, to throw in the towel, to wave the white flag, right? And just to give up. But here's the new rule for church. We don't give up. We do not give up because of challenges. We don't give up because of apparent possibilities. We don't give up because of hurdles. And why don't we give up? But Danny, so many people have, so many others have given up. Why, why not give up? You know, when I look at the New Testament, I read the life of the, of, uh, of the Apostle Paul. I bet you he had a million and one reasons to give up. When you read about the story of the life of Paul, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was left for dead, he had bounty, a bounty on his head, he was locked up, he was rejected and despised. But instead, look at what he does. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I need you guys to read this with me with a nice loud voice. Ready, go. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Paul is saying here, because we were shown an immense amount of mercy in Jesus, we don't give up. Because Jesus showed us love. Jesus showed us mercy. We do not give up. And this is the gospel. We don't give up because Jesus did not give up on us. Jesus died for our sin. He secured the promise of our eternity. And all this was before we even remotely had a desire to look for Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God proves His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you had an, a thought to pursue Jesus, Jesus had already died for you and for your sin, and He did not give up on you. So part of the new rules for church is that we must not give up because we have been given this ministry of mercy. And so we cannot give up. I'm going to invite Hunter to come up here. He's going to lead us in one final song. 
But I just want to share with you guys that we have been extended this mercy so we cannot give up. And here's why. Because others need to experience the mercy that you experienced. That I have experienced. There are people that out in our neighborhood, in our community, that have not experienced this mercy that you have. And we cannot give up. And we cannot give up because God's not done with you. We don't give up. If you're here today in person or if you're watching this on the Facebook live stream and you're not a follower of Jesus, I need you to know that God loves you and that he proves his love for you by sending Jesus to die. And then Jesus conquers Satan, sin, and death and he rises from the grave to give us the promise of an eternal life but also a new and an abundant life right now. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, in order to experience this, all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus. For the rest of us, I want to challenge us, guys. We've been through it together. We've been through it. We've gone through it. So what are the new rules for church? Well, we're not going to give up creating safe environments because... We want people to feel welcome when they come. And so we want to contribute to creating that welcoming environment. We're going to realize that we all have a part to play in that. That's not one person's job. And we will work hard to create worshipful experiences. One that's not contingent on how I feel on that day or what happened to me moments before I stepped into the church. I'm going to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth regardless of what I feel, regardless of what I'm going through. Man, we're going to work hard to build unity because so much has happened to cause this unity and to separate and to isolate. So we're going to work hard to create unity and harmony because that doesn't happen by itself. In fact, what does happen by itself is that we begin to wander, we begin to drift. And so we're going to work hard to create unity and we're not going to give up. Regardless of the pressure, regardless of the hardship, regardless of the temptation to give up, even though it might be easier, because we have been shown such mercy and there are those that have yet to experience Jesus' mercy. And so we will not give up. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is focused on others, God. That we wouldn't just grow inwardly focused, just concerned about ourselves, concerned about our own feelings, concerned about how we feel, but that we would create safe and welcoming environments, God. God, I pray that you would help us reject drift and, and the pull of our spiritual enemy to be disunited and disunified. God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would create harmony and unity, God, and that we would be a people working hard to help lead towards unity. And God, I pray you help give us grit. Empower us, God, to not give up because you have not given up on us. Father, help us to not give up. And Lord, I trust you, God, with the harvest. Those that are far from you, those that are yet to enter into a relationship with Jesus. God, that you might use us for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.